ライダープレイ Welcome back to Rider Break. I'm your host, Ega Devil, and this is episode 18 at long, long last. Yes, much like the series itself, Rider Break has、uh, had many frequent starts and stops over the years. Hopefully, sooner or later, we'll reach the Heisei era where it just keeps going nonstop because it's making Bandai enough money. But、uh, for the time being, we are now back after yet another break. Uh, with hopefully at least a couple more episodes. I've got a few sort of in the can、uh, that I will be editing later on. But first up, one that was meant to come out months ago, but for varying reasons, including the fact that in the middle of it I moved,、uh, I've not been able to get to until now. And that is the biggest Kamen Rider movie in years, I would say. Heisei Rider vs. Showa Rider, Kamen Rider, Tyson, a Great War, featuring Super Sentai.、Uh, this movie came out back at the end of March,、uh, and I saw it on opening day and saw it several times after that. And、uh, at the time, I did tweet out a couple of my sort of initial thoughts, and I've sort of、uh, dropped little bits here and there. But、uh, I haven't really gotten a chance to just sit down and kind of go through my. Complete thoughts on it. And, and even this episode probably won't be my complete thoughts on it, just because of how long it has been since I last saw the movie, which was over two months ago.、Uh, that being said, by the time you're listening to this, it will be out on DVD in Japan,、uh, DVD and Blu ray, for rental and purchase pretty soon,、uh, maybe even by the time this episode comes out, because it tends to、uh, show up at rental places before. Like a few days before、uh, you can buy it. So, pretty soon everybody's going to be talking about this movie. And I will be talking about it again, certainly.、Uh, I, have, I have plans for what I want to do once it comes out. But, you know, think of this episode as kind of、uh, a reminiscence, because、uh, I did take a lot of notes. I've got, you know, sort of a general outline. I will be going crazy with the spoilers and stuff like that. But,、uh, Yeah, just you know, in case you want to know, what did I think of this movie? Because this, for the longest time,、uh, was talked about and, and really hyped up and dreaded and, and all sorts of things. I mean, the last episode, many months ago, I did was all about just the, you know, the hype for this movie, the fact that it was going to have Fujioka in it and stuff like that. Lots of speculation. You know, at the time, it really, I think, came across like I just didn't quite know what to think. I was excited. I was cautious. I was scared. I was,、uh, you know, all sorts of things. And, and really, when you get down to it, I think I went into this one a little bit more pessimistic than usual. I tend to be, you know, very upbeat and optimistic when it comes to Kamen Rider. I always try to look for the good 
in everything, Ryder, because I enjoy it so much. You know, I enjoy the series. I enjoy the different incarnations and, and spin-offs and stuff like that. I mean, there's always something to like about Kamen Rider in my book. Uh, but when it comes to this movie, it, I really just didn't know what to think because, I mean, it's an idea that we've seen before and we've been seeing for a long time. And uh, when you get down to it, I mean, few people love seeing the old riders come back more than me. But I feel like we've seen them all fight each other so much that, you know, really, like, unless you're going to do it kind of Mega Max style where you bring them back with such... Uh, reverence for who these characters are and all i mean yeah sure you can say well but they get turned into toys at one point uh but even then you know it really treated the the classic uh legendary seven guys like they were a big deal and you know and and the new guys were excited to see them and they were excited to see them and you know it really felt like this great passing the torch moment uh you know which we've kind of had in all the different movies but but again uh, going back to the first one that brought back all the old riders, uh, All Riders versus Die Shocker in 2009, we had the you know the goofy scene of the sort of Gumba Ride style tournament where they're all fighting each other and you know whatever, it was it was fun but you know we kind of did it and and I just felt like you know can we move beyond that can we just kind of get into the movies where the riders show up and and they're all buddies and and there you go, but you know it's just I guess. Uh, in this day and age, like if you're going to do one of these big superhero team up movies, you got to have them fight at some point. I mean, that's what they did in superhero Tyson and superhero Tyson Z. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I went into this one really kind of not sure what to expect. I mean, there was a lot of things to be excited about, but there was a lot that I just didn't really know, you know, how was I going to feel about it? Was it going to work? And I think that's how a lot of people are going into this one because it's the third in the you know the Tyson series, if you will, more or less the sort of the springtime movie. And uh, Superhero Tyson and Superhero Tyson Z or Z, uh, those are both very divisive movies. Now I like uh, I like the first one okay. If you listen to the episode where I watched sort of the. I watched it on TV during, during the kind of running commentary before the Gaim promo was shown. Uh, I think, you know, with subsequent viewings, it, the, the um, blows have been softened a bit, and it's not quite as, uh, as traumatic as the first time, where it really was like, oh dear, you know. I mean, it's, I think the thing about it is just that everybody in their head has, you know, their vision of how they want to see that story told, the, the big team up between Super Sentai and Kamen Rider. I mean, there's like so many cool things you can do. And they did a couple of them, but they also, again, they kind of weighted down with this heroes fighting hero stuff, which I think really in the in the last couple of years has kind of started to be exposed as just such a phony baloney kind of plot line, you know, that that really isn't necessary. And to an extent, I still kind of feel that um, about this movie, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and Z I liked better, but, you know, it, that one too, it, it's got its share of problems. It's it's a very just kind of all over the place, crazy movie with, you know, people teleporting in and out. And it, it is sort of, it's more like a, a series of events that when you examine it uh, as a whole, it doesn't quite hold up. But I don't know. I mean, it, again, that one, it had some fun ideas. I, I enjoyed it, you know, I... I've yet to see a, a movie where a writer movie in theaters where I'm like, I want my money back, you know. I mean, <laughs> even Kamara the Next, 
uh as as tough as that one was you know it's it's got enough good stuff in it like i like the action you know i like uh the portrayal of shocker when it actually appears you know rider 2 saves the movie for me he does such cool stuff in that like when he kicks through the truck that's a really awesome scene but uh yeah so you know these these springtime kind of hero team up big battle movies you know they tend to be very hit or miss for people i mean even going back to like something like let's go which i think is a great movie i think it's it's actually kind of an underrated film because it's it's doing so much and it's trying so many things and it really is ambitious and maybe maybe a little too ambitious for its own good and and maybe a little too focused i think on on deno uh which, which i don't mind but i can see how you know if you go into that being like yeah the cover rider 40th anniversary movie and most of it is you know spending time on the den liner uh you know ag and Ankh pop up for a bit and then sort of the the rest of the riders are really kind of relegated to the background. I mean, Rider 1 and 2 are are significant, but even then, uh, you know, they're just appearing as suits and all that. And I I think what they did in this movie is probably what a lot of people wanted that movie to be like uh, in terms of the interaction between old riders and new riders, stuff like that. Uh, But at the end of the day, I, I still really enjoy that one a lot. And then, you know, of course, you've got the movie wars every uh, December. But uh, really, I think the, the standout of those still is is Mega Max. And again, that's sort of what a lot of people want out of these movies. When you have the classic writers show up, you want them sort of done in that style where they they really come off as these almost kind of mythic figures. I mean, I think that's, that's certainly the thing I would do if, you know, the day I was ever handed the reins to the Kamen Rider franchise would be to, you know, if I'm going to use the old riders, even even the sort of older Heisei riders now, really kind of build them up as being these, you know, just mythical, almost uh, legendary kind of super-duper heroes. And, you know, you still give them interesting stuff to do and, and conflicts and, and things like that. But But also, you know, be sort of respectful of the fact that they've had their time, they've fought their battles... And uh, the 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 brunt of the drama, if you will, has to be on the new guys, and the old guys are really there. You know, they've they've been through this, so they have this kind of edge when it comes to these situations. Uh, you know, basically what I'm saying is that, like, when you get down to it, if I were writing, I don't think I would do the plot of this movie where we've got the old writers being like, "Well, let's get into this new movie, and and I'll tell you all about it." Before I sort of go completely nuts with spoilers and all that i'll just kind of give you my general thoughts my sort of uh my basic spoiler free feelings on this movie and that is i love this movie i like it a lot and like i said before i was i went into this one kind of almost expecting not to like it like this is it's what i said it's what i kind of hoped it would be it's i've never been more happy to be wrong about a movie with this one uh i've never been more pleased that my kind of gut feeling going in was disproven and i came out of the theater almost completely satisfied i mean really uh when you get down to it the the gripes i have with this movie are very few there is one significant one although as time has gone on, I've thought about it more. I think I've I've kind of uh, come to terms with it. And that is that the central 
idea of this movie, the uh, Showa Riders versus the Hayser Riders, the old versus new. I don't think it was really necessary to do. I mean, I get the, you know, the appeal of it, the sort of the hype that it generates and the the spectacle of it all and all that. But when you get down to it, I think a lot of the reasons this movie works are kind of in spite of it rather than because of it. Uh, what I mean by that is, is that, like, certainly other people who have seen this movie have commented on the fact that they think the writers fighting each other is actually kind of like the weakest part. Like, there's there's so much good stuff going on around that. And when they're teaming up, as they inevitably do, that's that's not really a spoiler because everybody's seen the clips of them teaming up at the end. You know, that's great. That's That's kind of what we paid for. And the other stuff, I mean, it's good, but it's ultimately just kind of filling time. Now, I, I will say, you know, I think what they did here is that they made the best out of a pretty blah idea so that when they do fight, it is really exciting. It's it's really well done. You know, the fights are interesting and, and engaging and all that. And I think they really did try to make everybody look cool, uh, which is important. They, they really do go some ways in, in trying to make everyone kind of on the same level. Everyone's a bit... Everyone's very even, and it's very back and forth. And, and I enjoy that a lot, because when you get down to it, there are a few things that I find more just tiresome than the Showa versus Heisei debate. I just, you know, I've seen it for years. It's always just a load of nonsense, because it's, it's all so up in the air, and it, it all comes down to, you know, the writer at the time being like, do I want to have writer xyz annihilate everybody or not it, it's hard to explain really but I, I, again it just it, it's like do you write these things you know based entirely on kind of what's presented in the individual shows themselves do you write them based on kind of your own ideas about the characters stuff like that you know like for example i think a lot of people you know before the movie came out were like how are the show riders going to be able to compete with the Heisei guys? Because they've got all this firepower. you got Kuga with this kick that blows up half the city. And, and Agito, who can ride or kick God, basically. And stuff like that. Yeah, at the same time, you'd also have the people like myself who are like, well, when you get down to it, I think they kind of work on, on such different power levels. I mean, like, Kuga is, is really powerful in his show, but when you take him outside of the context of his own universe, you, you think about how the things that injure Kuga, the ways he gets hurt and stuff like that, whereas other riders could take that on the chin and, and be it fine. And, and actually, we kind of see an example of that in this movie. Uh, we see a Heisei rider take an injury that pretty much puts him out of action for, for an extended period of time. We see a show rider take an injury that's arguably worse uh, but he, you know, takes the licking and keeps on ticking, as it were. You know, so it just it comes down to stuff like that. And I think ultimately, you know, you kind of have to throw all that out the window and, and just go what with what makes, uh, what tells the best story, what is the most dramatically interesting and stuff like that. But, you know, you want to do it in a way that's fair, because when you don't, you get the, kind of the cheap deaths that we've seen in, in previous movies. Uh, and this one has a couple of those, to be fair. Although I think, for the most part, they're better about it. And they do something that I think is really cool at the end. Maybe kind of controversial. But I'll get to that when I get into the spoilers. But 
yeah, overall, I mean, I, I really like this movie a lot. There's there's just so much great stuff going on in it. And I do kind of think I'll probably be in the minority on this one. I think a lot of other people are going to come into this and be like, well, I don't know. Because it is the same sort of thing as Let's Go, where it certainly focuses on particular writers. I think it's a little bit better about giving everybody a moment. But like, if you come into this movie and your favorite writer of all time is like Blade... Blade is in this movie, and he does some cool stuff, but he's certainly not the focus of it. The The guys who are most important are the guys on the poster. And even then, kind of uh, not quite. Um, I think that's sort of one, one of the other kind of minor gripes I have about this movie, I think, is that they really do push the show writers as being a big part of this movie. And they are a big part, although it is still primarily a Heisei Rider-driven movie. Uh, they're definitely kind of the underdogs, if you will, of the the plot. They're the sort of the heroes. Although I wouldn't say the show writers are the villains, but they are kind of the more antagonistic bunch. And it does make sense, mostly, when we get the explanation for it. And that, that I think, is sort of... That's one of the ways in which this one really improves over the last two movies, uh, the, the Tysons, anyway, is that... The motivation for the heroes fighting each other is better. I wouldn't say it's great, and it's it's probably not what I would have done, but it is better. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it that. Like when you get down to it, it the way I sort of view *Common Rider*, that you know, the way I've always kind of viewed it from the beginning up until now. Even even I'm seeing this happen in *Gaim*, where Kota is so sort of torn over how he's going to respond to uh, what's going on with Michi and stuff like that. And, uh, to, like, to me, Kamen Rider is always the guy where when faced with this impossible situation, you know, you, you can either choose option A or option B, he's the guy who's going to make an option C, and he's going to make it work. So when faced with something like this, where it's either one side wins or one side loses or, you know, that kind of thing, I don't know. I just I always prefer you know a different approach. I think this, that's kind of why I I really had a problem with uh, the decade movie, like the the final story there that they had, where Skasa kind of gives in to his fate and becomes the destroyer, and uh, you know turns everybody into cards, and then gets defeated by Kivara, and it, it's all kind of confusing. And I don't know. I just I always thought like the way decade had progressed. I, I sort of prefer the, the way they did it with uh, All Rise versus Die Shocker, where it was like, yeah, he's he's going to sort of give in to his, his evil true nature, but he kind of sees that that's wrong. He sees that he's changed. You know, his journey has changed him, and he can't be the person he was anymore, so he's got to be Kamen Rider Decade. That kind of thing. And, I you know, I would have preferred that more of that approach, but, I, you know, we're getting into stuff now where I'm basically rewriting the entire plot of the movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't do that. So, you know, given what we've got, uh, I was I was really pleased with it. I was really happy with this one. Where it's going to stack up in the ranking and all that, my kind of initial thought was, I think it's definitely one of the better movies to feature all the riders. Like, it, I think it actually does top uh, All Riders vs. Jai Shocker and even Let's Go. Although I don't know about that. Like, I, I'd had to sit down and watch them all together and, and throw Mega Max in there, too. Because I think all four of those movies, you know, of all the ones to feature, 
classic heroes returning in the last couple of years. All four of those, I think they each get something note perfect and then they get a bunch of other things kind of okay and then you know they all kind of have at least one sort of failing that that is why you know it's hard for me to pick between the four of them like all riders definitely had the the novelty of you know that was the first time everybody'd shown up in that scene where they all walk up and everything it was really cool really good fight scene really uh, you know, really made them feel like a big deal. Like, it, it was really kind of, uh, you know, excited to have the riders back in the movie. Let's Go, you know, had the anniversary aspect and, and the fact that it was really trying to go back to the original story and, and do, you know, a weird kind of spin on it where we're like, what if Rider 1 and 2 had failed? What if time got messed up and, and then been turned? You know, it, it's not quite as it's not done quite as uh, devastatingly fan wanky as I think a lot of people would want. Where it's like, you know, the rest of writer history is destroyed, and I mean, it is, but you know, not not in the way that that you probably would want to see. Where it's like every writer is now evil and and stuff like that. But you know, I think it had a lot of a lot of great ideas, a lot of great elements. It certainly, I think, more than than All Riders vs. Die Shocker, it really tried to give a bit more. Um, personality to at least Rider 1 and 2 who you know they they're great in in all riders but i think you know just having them have more dialogue and more kind of uh focus and screen time and stuff like that it really it, it just gave me more of a sense that it, it was really them having the real voices help too that that always helps but that really feels like a a proper kind of return in some ways and then, you know, something like Mega Mask, like I mentioned, it, you know, it has the, a lot of reverence for those characters. And it, it really tries to do something new with them by giving them these crazy over-the-top Sakamoto fight scenes, pulling out the old moves and stuff like that. Really, really cool stuff. And, you know, it, it's probably the most classic movie style in terms of how it, it treats the writers as... In a lot of the old movies, you know, they might not show up until the very end or something. And they're kind of just there to to fill out a fight scene and help out. But that's cool. I mean, that that idea that when things get just too heavy in the movies, you can always have the team show up and, and help out at the end. Like I, I like that a lot. Now, the big innovation of this one, of course, is that it's finally got some of the old actors on screen. Uh, and I talked a lot about this with Craig in the last episode. And, you know, the idea of having them back and and having them a bit older now and stuff like that. And this movie does some great things with that. Like, in my own kind of personal headcanon, I like the idea that being cyborgs, they don't age and all that, so they're always going to be kind of guys in their 20s and, and 30s, maybe. But, you know, that being said, you got to face the reality situation, and much like with sort of the Ultraman movies, where they bring back the Ultra Brothers and stuff, it's just so cool to see the old guys back that you can let that kind of stuff slide. And actually, I think, uh, you know, it really works because of the whole, since they're doing this old versus new thing, having the old riders be older guys and, and be adults and, you know, they can deliver these lines about, you know, we got to protect the future for children and stuff like that. And it, it, it carries a bit more weight, I think, especially when it comes to how this movie handles the character of X rider. But uh, I'll get into that a lot because I love what this movie does with X. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I like this one a lot. I don't, again, I don't know where it will rank exactly, but I, I think it'll be pretty high near the top because uh, th this movie is just, 
It's doing some really, really good things, really cool things. But now we're about 25 minutes into this uh, episode, so it's time to get on with the uh, the spoilers and all that. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll kind of go through the movie more or less in order, although it won't be in order because, you know, it's hard to remember the sequence of events and stuff like that. And it has been some time since I watched it. But I'll go down my notes here and kind of just, you know, go into detail about some of the major aspects of it. Uh, so from this point on, this episode is going to be spoilerific. So listeners, beware. <laughs> Okay, well, the first scene, of course, everybody has actually seen already because Toei decided to put it up online. Now, I'll talk about sort of the promotion of this movie a bit later and, and the whole idea of the poll near the end, which uh, uh, for a long time I kind of wasn't sure about, although in a lot of ways I think the, the worry was all for naught. <laughs> but I'll get to that when we get to the end. But yeah, the opening scene, of course, is this big, huge uh, battle sequence where we've got... Kabuto gets thrown into a building and he casts off and then he's fighting stronger. Now, at the time, you know, on first viewing, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, opening up the movie with stronger getting killed, that's, uh, uh, it doesn't look really good. It's not so bad now that you, once you understand the context of this is, uh, it's kind of a flash forward. It's a scene that's happening later in the movie, so... Uh, you know, technically speaking, he's not the first one to be defeated. Although even still, I don't know. It, it, especially after, you know, we've already had uh, Superhero Tyson where all seven, all the original seven guys got defeated. I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't quite set the uh, the mood right for, for me, you know. <laughs> it's like, we kind of hit the low point and then the movie's got to win me back over over the course of it. And it does, it, you know, it does, but... You know, that being said, I mean, it's still, it's a cool fight. You know, you got Kabuto clocking up, you got Stronger electrocuting him. That's something I thought uh, was, was good, that they remembered the fact that, you know, Kabuto is fast, but he can he outrun electricity? Like, if it's, you know, if he's running onto an electric field, apparently not. Uh, but they're fighting, Kabuto manages to get the win, but then he is defeated somewhat confusingly by Skyrider, which uh, I liked <laughs> seeing... Because, uh, you know, being a big Skyrider fan, I always dug that. But, yeah, I, I don't quite know what was going on here because at first it looks like somebody's shooting at him. I think Skyrider had some kind of projectile weapon, like, you know, energy from his belt or something. But it's been so long, i got to review his, his many moves. But uh, that's pretty cool. He actually beats Kabuto with the Sky Flying Saucer, which is one of his old uh, many, many kicks that he had. And I thought that was kind of cool that they dug that one out. So Kabuto goes down, and then uh, Skyrider fights Forze, who's in rocket states. Uh, and, you know, th of course, they're, they're trying to go for a sort of like a matchup thing. So you got Kabuto fighting Stronger because they're, you know, the Beetle guys. You got Skyrider fighting Forze because they're both flying around. I think a lot of people wanted to see Forze versus Super 1. Uh, so, I don't know. They, they, they made some odd choices here. But <laughs> in any case, uh, Forze defeats Skyrider. Then gets punched out of the sky by Jay, who's a giant already. And uh, Kota runs up and is watching all this. Now, like I've said, you know, you can see this. I don't know if the scene is still online, but certainly uh, before the movie came out, it was everywhere. So I think a lot of people know how it works. You know, 
Dakota transforms into Gaim in front of Jay, which is a really cool scene. One thing I'll say about this movie is they do everything they can to make uh, Gaim's transformation just look like the coolest thing ever. Like, they really go out of their way to, to do some neat stuff with it. And this is the first of many where the camera's kind of spinning around and Jay's running at him. He turns into Gaim. He's, you know, jumping around on buildings, running up his arm. Eventually he gets uh, the Sika arms, is flying around. Really cool stuff. Although, I will say, it feels like something that could have been in the other superhero Tysons. Whereas the stuff we'll be seeing later feels a lot more unique to this one. One of the changes uh, for this movie from the previous ones is we've still got the same producer, uh, Shirakura. We've still got uh, Yonemura as the writer, but they changed the director around. And I think that did make a difference. Now, I actually, I don't mind uh, Osamu Kaneda, uh, who did the Guy movie, actually. And I, I thought he did a great job with that. But I do kind of feel, I, I think maybe he works a little bit better on a smaller scale. Uh, although I don't know about that, because he did all Riders and, and Let's Go, and I like those. But then again, you know, when it comes to those, I, sort of the fights that I like usually are kind of the smaller ones. Like in Let's Go, the, the best fight in the movie to me is Rider 1 and 2, you know, showing up in the 70s. And then and later when everybody breaks in the shocker base, that's really cool, really intense. I, I don't know. But yeah, they changed the director for this one. And I think it actually did make a difference. It, it brings a lot of energy, you know, a lot of style. There's a whole part of the movie where they apparently intentionally tried to shoot it almost like an episode of Fies, uh, which is pretty cool, or sort of the early 2000s writer style. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but so this fight is it's it's fine. But I certainly think you know we'll be seeing stuff later that really sticks out and really made made uh, made me feel like I got my money's worth, as it were. But, you know, even still, a pretty cool scene. But, yeah, this is all a flash forward to later. So we jump back in time after the title to one week ago. Now, one of the things about this movie, one of the sort of funny things, I think, is that if you actually stop and think about the time frame, it really does seem like it happens over the course of two days. So revealing that uh, at least a week goes on during the course of the movie, basically, you'll come to the conclusion that once Skasa enters the movie, he basically spends an entire week just going around <laughs> trying to recruit riders and, and not doing a very good job of it, apparently. Uh, but we'll get to him very soon. So it's a week ago, uh, and we've got a construction site, you know, run by Yudrasil and all that in uh, Zawame City. And the ground cracks open, and there's purple light coming out, and this giant hand reaches out and grabs these two guys, uh, you know, just two nameless victim dudes. One of the things I really like about this movie is that a lot of the minor parts are actually played by stuntmen. Like, they didn't just, you know, cast any old guy in these roles. They actually were like, hey, for this opening scene, those two guys who die, it's Kazuo Nibori and Seiji Takaiwa. So there you go. You know, you got two of the biggest, uh, most prolific suit actors of, of Ryder and Sentai right there in pretty minor roles. But it's cool to see them, you know, for, for a few brief seconds. So we cut to Mai and Kota hanging out in the clubhouse, and Mai is conveniently looking at uh, an article all about sort of this theories about this uh, other world that exists under the earth, kind of a, an opposite, not quite mirror world, but uh, like a, a world within a world, that sort of thing, underground empires and stuff like that, and monsters and things. And, you know, immediately the mention of monsters piques Kota's interest. So, you know, they hear about the uh, stuff going down, 
And he's like, I bet, you know, user sales involved. So let's go investigate. So they run off. Uh, so they're, you know, they're going around underground in sort of the uh, the area where Wizard would always kind of get dumped down into, you know, that, that like underground corridor, which again, you know, that will pop up uh, in a few minutes, several times actually. But uh, yeah, the sort of the underground, you know, network of, of tunnels and stuff beneath Tokyo or Zamabe in this case. So they're investigating around and eventually they fall into uh, a crack in the world and wind up uh, in a very familiar looking place, which is apparently the inside of the world. It's all kind of flipped around. So like they look up in the sky and they can see, you know, the continents on the other side. So it's almost like this weird sort of inside out world that they're in and there's no people around but it's all the buildings and stuff like that so it's very uh mirror world-esque to me but it's not the mirror world so they're looking around and they run into this kid named shu uh who has weird powers he can turn things inside out apparently and he uses this to try to escape from kota but eventually they corner him you know kota is all out of breath and everything is like you know please trust us we're not evil and uh, Shu is this weird kid where he doesn't quite know. He's he's kind of got some gaps in his memory, but he's on the run. He doesn't quite know what's going on. But uh, they're like, well, we'll you know we'll take you back with us. So somehow they get out of that world. This this is just like a few minutes, like right at the beginning. This whole kind of setup that at first I was like, wait a minute, is this all gonna be an, another alternate universe movie or something? But no, no, this is just a setup. Uh, before they leave, though. We see somebody watching them from around a corner. It's uh, Skasa, and he's still snapping pictures of people. So they go back to uh, the real world, or back to the, the underground area anyway. And they're running off. And then you know, they hear a voice who's like, you're not taking that kid anywhere. And they stop, and that's when we get the entrance of Hiroshi Fujioka Takeshi Hongo at long last. Now... I got to say, this really kind of shocked me at first because they basically give Hongo the heel entrance. Like they, you know, they have the scary music. They don't show his face for the longest time. You know, he kind of walks up all in slow motion. It's all obscured. And then when he finally appears, it's like they really kind of, you know, treat it like a bad guy almost. Like, uh, you know, like, who the hell are you? And that kind of stuff. Which I thought was kind of funny, but, you know, at this point, he doesn't know uh, about any of the other riders, I guess, other than the ones that he's met previously and in, in team-ups and stuff like that. Uh, you know, certainly he doesn't know about the the Showa riders, as it were. Yeah, and, and one thing about this movie, one thing you kind of got to get used to is the fact that they do say Showa riders and Heisei riders in the dialogue. Like, that is actually a spoken thing. You know, I get it. It's an easy way to identify them and all that. I still think it's kind of weird to be calling Shin, Zero, and Jay Showa Riders. I know why they do. It's still weird to me. Just because, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, the whole, like, different eras of, of Japanese history and all that, Tokusatsu has a really bad track record. Because you got Toei thinking that the Showa era lasted until 1994. Then you got Toho that's like, oh, well, the Heisei era began in 1984. At least, you know, when it comes to Ultraman, they just don't care. So <laughs> it keeps it simple. But anyway, this part was really kind of... Uh, it was awesome, obviously. But it was also kind of funny because at one point, um, Hongo, you know, identifies Kota. He's like, Gaim. And Kota's like, how do you know that? And right behind him, 
Mai is wearing a t-shirt with Gaim in huge letters, like big pink block letters. She's still wearing the Team Gaim outfit and everything. I guess it never occurs to Dakota that Hongo might, you know, watch TV sometimes and, and may be aware of the Team Gaim, uh, the whole, you know, the, the beat writers and all that, and the fact that he was transforming on television and things like that. But uh, whatever the case. Now, Hongo basically says, you know, he, he introduces himself. I'm Takeshi Hongo, and I've been, you know, fighting for human freedom and all that. Hand the kid over to me. I'll take it from here. And Kota's like, no way. And then uh, the bad guys show up. Now, before I get into them, a few words about Fujioka in this movie. He was, of course, advertised as being a, a big part of it. And I would say that's sort of true. Rider 1 is in this movie a lot. And, you know, he's voiced by Fujioka and all that, so it's it's proper Rider 1 and everything. Hongo himself is really only in three scenes, and one of those is the ending credits. So there's, there's sort of two scenes where he's in the movie, uh, two pretty brief scenes that both culminate with him transforming into Rider 1. That being said, though, I was actually okay with that because, A, because we get enough from Ryo Hayami, or X, later on, uh, you know, that I, I felt like the movie, it, it handled the uh, the quota of, of Old Rider screen time. Uh, you know, it made me happy. But also, because I kind of like the idea that they really sort of, uh, again, you know, giving uh, giving Rider 1 that really kind of mythic feeling where keeping him off screen for so long, keeping Hongo kind of out of the action, and, you know, he only shows up at certain points, but when he does, like, he dominates. Like, you can't take your eyes off him. He is just in control of the movie uh really cool sequences but uh yeah the first one here so you know we've got hongo who's shown up and i guess the idea they were going for in this movie is is they say you know we wanted to do hongo as he's been you know not not just recreate him as he was in the 70s but like what what has hongo been doing for 40 years you know this is a guy who's been traveling the world fighting all these fights and that plays in a little bit uh, later on, and here to an extent, to uh, his transformation, how it's kind of evolved. But I'll get to that in a second. But So anyway, so the bad guys show up. Now, the bad guys in this film are the Baden Empire, who were the villains of Comrades Cross. And you can see them appearing every month in Comrades Spirit still. Now, when they announced that they were going to do Baden... A couple people out there were really kind of excited because they're like, yay, finally, you know, it's not just another version of Shocker, it's it's something new. Uh, which made me kind of laugh because, honest to God, Shocker in the current movies, you know, Die Shocker and Super Shocker, Space Shocker, what have you, I think they're a lot closer to Baden than they are to the Shocker of the 70s. In terms of the, the makeup of being, you know, this jumbo-sized army of, of old guys... You know, classic and new monsters and stuff like that, just from all different series. I mean, that that is exactly what Baden was back in the '80s. You know, even if even if Z Cross had been a full series, that's what it would have been anyway, because that was their whole idea was that you know they had new monsters, but they are also reviving the old monsters and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Although you know, to be fair, I think they do some interesting stuff with Baden in this movie because. Of all the classic Rider villains, you know, they were probably the one that was kind of least uh, developed in terms of, 
of what exactly they were going to be just be, by virtue of the fact that they've they've never been in a TV show. You know, they were in the special, they were in the comics, they were in the photo stories and stuff like that. So they had kind of a, a general makeup and, and stuff like that. Like they have a, a hierarchy, they've got a backstory and things like that. But they're not they're not quite like Shocker where, you know, we know practically more about Shocker now, you know, based on all the old magazines and stuff like that than, you know, we know about our own planet. Like... <laughs> Uh, we got all the details and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a little bit more freedom with Bad End, so they can kind of take them in a new direction, which is what they do in this movie. They they do something kind of neat with them, uh, which is hinted at early on when they refer to them as the Underground Empire, which, you know, when I first read that, I was like, okay, uh, you know, that's kind of weird. It's very kind of Sentai-esque. Uh, I think a couple of the Sentai have had, you know, villains who are like underground empires or subterranean empires, stuff like that. I'm mostly thinking of Dynaman. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was, I was sort of like, all right, we'll see where this goes. Uh, so the bad guys show up and the main sort of the henchmen, the combat droids, uh, a whole gang of them show up and they're they're looking for a fight. So Hongo jumps the railing, and apparently Fujioka did all his own stunts on this movie, which I can believe because he doesn't do a whole lot of stunts, but, you know, it's all stuff that I could see him doing. Uh, you know, generally, I, I think uh, all the old riders, like, outside of one shot, which I'll get to later on because it was kind of funny, I, I think they're doing all their own, you know, fights and stuff like that, which is really cool. Like, they they can still move. You know, it's it's basic stuff. They're not doing Kota-esque flips in midair and and cartwheels or anything like that but you know they're still punching guys they're kicking guys it's it's cool to see so hongo's like you know you take the kid get out of here i'll handle these guys and that was something that i really liked you know for for all i'm going to say about sort of that i feel the depiction of the show arrives is maybe a little bit too harsh at times like they're you know they're not it's not totally out of character but i think they do come off as a bit more kind of like hardline than i would have personally done it but even with that said i thought that was a good moment that when it get when you get down to it you know hongo he, he wants to basically he wants to take shu because the show riders don't quite trust the hayser riders at this point they you know they think they're gonna bungle it up and uh as we'll see they kind of have a point <laughs> but we'll get to that but, uh, you know, when the bad guys show up, like, you know, he drops all the pretenses. He's like, I don't quite think that Gaim can win this battle, but I trust him enough to be like, take the kid, get out of here, get them get them to safety. So they run off, and Hongo transforms. Now, they did change the transformation a bit in that they gave him uh, Rider 2's belt, or, or Ichimanji's belt, I should say, where it's got the sort of panel in front that opens up, which is, that's something that it, up until now, Hongo never had. And apparently, the reason they did this, again, is because they said, you know, we wanted to show a Hongo who's been fighting around the world for 40 years, and so he's had changes made, he's had upgrades and stuff like that, and we wanted to, you know, somehow sort of fit in the idea that even after all this time, the Tachibana Racing Club is still uh, helping him. You know, they're still his supporters and all that, uh, which I kind of liked a lot, That this idea that even though we never see them, even though, you know, we don't quite know, is it still, you know, one guy in a cafe and a bunch of girls, or is it like a now a multinational organization? There still is a Tachibana Racing Club out there, and they are still Comrade's support team. <laughs> I don't know. But so Hongo transforms, and it's really cool looking. In a nice kind of uh, 
very faithful to the the old show. Uh, and something they do later on, I think, that was really cool is is they give him a slightly different, almost kind of uh, more Heisei style transformation. That's at the end of the movie, but for for now, you know, they're going full classic, jumps in the air, the energy comes out. They do the glowing eye thing that uh, every rider has now, which I like a lot. I think that's a good change the decade made that when when you transform, you know, the eyes light up. Like that's a cool idea that, that they've done for everybody, basically. So Rider One, you know, he transforms and he just starts beating ass. Like it's great. You know, he's kicking guys around, he's grabbing swords and slashing them. Uh, the kid's like, Common Rider and you know, of course, uh Coates is like, What the you know <laughs> So, you know, uh, he rider kicks a whole bunch of guys, blows up. Really cool little fight scene. So Kota and Mai and Shu, they escape. Kota's kind of like, what's the deal with this rider guy? Why is he such a jerk? You know, and Shu's like, don't you know the common riders? They're the allies of justice and all that. Uh, and then they're trying to, they're, they're asking Shu, they're like, you know, do you remember anything? Is this, is this, uh, you know, you knew who that guy was? or Is it uh, jogging your memory at all? And he's like, I don't know, but I, I kind of remember a tower. So they have him draw this tower on a tablet that Mai conveniently has. And they're like, is it Yggdrasil uh, Tower? And he's like, no. Now anybody who, you know, anyone over the age of three, basically, watching the movie is like, I recognize the tower that he drew because it looks like a giant pinwheel. Uh, so, you know, already you're, you know, you're like, oh, okay, you know, I see where this is going, you know, uh, reminiscent of a certain uh, Futo Tower, and we all know who lives there. Uh, so Batman attacks, and we get a couple of the monsters showing up now. So uh, in some of the recent movies, uh, especially I think since Let's Go, uh, they've made a new Tigeroid costume. Tigeroid is the guy who's basically the, the big tiger with the bazookas on his back, and he was Z-Cross's arch nemesis uh, originally, and, and still is in, in the comics and stuff like that. Although I think the new version they've made, he he's a little bit fluffier looking. Uh, the the old you know the '80s suit I think is really cool, really kind of scary, especially in the face, like really fearsome looking. And now he's a little bit more cuddly. But he shows up, and along with him is the tongue twister name Yama Arashiroid, the porcupine guy. <laughs> now he was a new suit. They redesigned the old one. I think probably just because the old one would be very hard to recreate as is. Because uh, that was a really elaborate costume. Really cool. Uh, if you're a fan of spirits, then you'll know this character is Needle uh, in that version. And uh, so he's got a new look. Very kind of uh, sort of a bit more organic, I think. Like almost kind of muscly looking. They did a kind of weird thing where it's like you can clearly see sort of the outline of the stunt guy's head, at least, in the costume. So he's got this weird, like the neck... Like, you can see where the guy's chin would be. It it, it looked kind of strange to me, but um, in any case, you know, he shows up and he's kind of the main, you know, sort of the, the uh, like, second-tier bad guy of the movie. You know, like, similar to, say, in Let's Go, you had uh, Heel Chameleon or, or, you know, Black Shogun. Like, that sort of, you know, that kind of role where he's got a lot of dialogue and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he's got this cool power where he shoots all his spines out from his back, all his quills. So they're showing up, they're kicking butt. Uh, and this is where, of course, we get the second really cool transformation of Gaim, where he has the orange come down, and he actually, he, like, puts it on his arm and is, like, spinning it around because while this is happening, Yama Arashiroid is shooting all these quills at him and they're bouncing off in different directions and people are running away in slow motion. A really, really cool-looking scene. 
And it's all happening like in a 7-Eleven parking lot, which makes it even more exciting. So, yeah, so this big fight goes on. Uh, there is a kind of interesting moment where uh, one of the combat droid guys is going to attack Shu, and he uses his powers that, you know, he like flips things around. So he, he, like later on, he does a thing where like he flips a section of street around and they all get dumped back down into the uh, wizard underground corridor. But uh, he does it on one of the combat droid guys, and so you kind of see beneath all the armor and stuff like that that they've got, it's all circuitry and things. And I thought that was kind of cool that they're sort of acknowledging that they're they're all cyborgs and stuff like that, or you know, heavily heavily modified cyborgs. And you know, just a brief moment, but I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, for for what's basically like a kind of comedy bit, because it's like, oh, you know, he's been turned upside down or turned inside out. That was a you know I was kind of impressed by that the attention to detail, so more monsters start showing up you know of course Shiomane King's there, uh, you know all the old kind of favorites, uh, General Shadow appears you know, and uh, he's got a different voice than usual and it is actually kind of noticeable <laughs> for his one line. I'll say this about the voice actors in this movie the kind of replacement VAs some of them are really good. And some of them, I think they're good, but not for that character. One of the big ones is I th- I would have switched around Skyrider and Rider 2 because uh, Skyrider is very kind of deep and gruff, which fits Rider 2 better. And Rider 2 sounds a lot younger, uh, you know, really good for Skyrider, that kind of thing. Um, Forza is one a lot of people have commented on because they've seen the clip with him at the beginning. My kind of general feeling about Forza in this movie, and and in general with when it comes to the team ups and stuff, is I wish they wouldn't have him speak as much as he does, unless you actually get his real actor. Because uh, Sota has such, or, or Gentaro, I should say, has such a distinctive voice. Actually, you know, despite being a young guy and all that, not not every young guy sounds like him. So when it isn't him. I think it really kind of stands out and and they they do this they kind of make this mistake of giving him a lot of dialogue like in the last two episodes of Wizard uh that was a, a sort of a, a grievance I had with those is that you know Forze because he's a character who who does a lot of talking you know he's got his catchphrases and stuff like that when it's not actually him it it just sounds a little weird uh, and, and coupled with the fact that he's he's very kind of 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 everybody he's probably the most out of character and that he's like Let's go fight other riders. Yay, you know. It just seems uh you know, it's it's the kind of thing you don't really want to draw attention to, but you know, it's not a deal breaker or anything like that, but uh certainly one one of the sort of the things you kind of just got to adjust for with this movie or kind of prepare yourself for that you know, you're going to see Forza talking and he's not quite going to be the Forza you remember. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, General Shadow appears, and then in a really kind of funny moment, he teleports in a bunch of other guys, or, or they sort of teleport in to join him. One of which is uh, Generalissimo Machine from Stronger, and, you know, if you've seen that, then the image of General Shadow bossing him around is kind of funny. So everybody's beaten up on Gaim, and that's when Kaito shows up, and he transforms into Baron and jumps down. I think they're in the same place where uh, Baron first transformed. I'm not sure if it's the same location or not, but you know he does the same kind of thing. Jumps off the ledge, transforms into Baron, joins the fight because he sees you know there's a new enemy in town and they're strong and and all that stuff. So it turns into a Gaim and Baron versus everybody fight. 
and before you know it, uh, Ryugen and Zangetsu are joining. Uh, you know, the brothers show up, they transform. Now, this is back in the uh, the good old days before Michi went totally nuts, uh, or, or grapes or melons or whatever you want to call it, and what fruity. So he's hanging around with uh, Takatora. I don't think, as far as, uh, you know, like contradicting the show and all that, like th- there are moments when he... You know, he calls Zangetsu his brother, and Baron certainly is within, like, earshot, although I don't think he cares, and I don't so much know about uh, Gaim. I don't think he ever sees it or hears it, or, you know, it's just the sort of thing where, like, it happens in the heat of moment, and probably nobody paid attention, so it's not a big deal. But yeah, they transform and join the fight, so we got a four-on-everybody fight. Uh, really cool, like, really well shot. Like, they do this cool thing where they're kind of, like, rotating the camera around, all the guys fighting each other, it kind of speeds up and slows down. Really cool looking. So they're kicking butt, of course, and then, uh, this mysterious guy runs in and starts just punching all the good guys out, like, all the riders. And Gaim's like, who the hell are you? A phrase that he will be saying a lot throughout this movie. And the guy reveals himself, you know, he says, you know, you're the 15th Heisei Rider. I'm the, you know, warrior who uses the strength of the 15 riders, that kind of stuff. And this guy transforms, he pulls out a lock seed, which he just drops down and it sort of magically flies into his belt because he's got a driver. Uh, I feel like somebody else has done that. I couldn't remember, though. I feel like there's another rider where they... They have their device, they drop it, and then it kind of magically flies onto the belt. And I feel like it's one of the Kiva movie guys, but I can't remember exactly. So he transforms into Kamen Rider 15. Uh, and he's got the same kind of rock sound as uh, as Bravo when he transforms. Um, and I think, the, if I remember correctly, the lock seat, it just says 15. And there wasn't any like individual jingle for it or anything like that. Uh, but it has been a while, so I could be forgetting. So 15, yeah, he's got this cool transformation where this kind of skull thing comes down and it's like rib cage wraps around him and he, he transforms into his rider state. Now, 15, I got to be honest with you, he may, he certainly, well, he is a contender for my favorite evil rider yet because I think they do this character just right. Like, he is tough, he's powerful he's mean he's like he's a real threat but he's also he's very unrider like in in his look you know he's got this weird design with the the hair and stuff like that and it's it's a weird costume because you know all the kind of colors on the front if you look at him from behind it's all kind of black you know it looks kind of run down like especially if you watch this uh on a blu-ray and high def and all that you'll see that like the silver's all kind of scuffed up. I mean, it looks like they took, they made the suit and then like threw it over a few cliffs before putting it on and filming it. It, it really looks kind of beat up, but that actually works. Like that gives him this real kind of battle-worn look. Um, he's got this sword that he can kind of just teleport out of nowhere. And, and they they really build him up as being tough. Like he just, he basically punches or like pushes Gaim. And it's like the most epic push in history because they have this effect on it where it's like you know all slow motion and stuff really cool uh but yeah i don't know i really dug this character a lot like i like how his powers work and it's all this sort of stuff that like it shouldn't work but somehow it does like his whole thing is he's got the hey rider lock seed which he pulls out and he's able to 
transform into different uh, rider modes. You know, using using the armors from uh, the last movie that everybody turned into. You know, like the wizard arms, the Forze arms, stuff like that. Uh, which is what he does here. He pulls out the wizard arms. You know, so he gets the powers of wizard and uses those to pretty decisively kick uh, Shin Zangetsu's butt. Zangetsu Shin, you know, whatever. Super duper <laughs> energy melon Zangetsu. Who, you know, you got to remember, like, up up until this point in the series, has still pretty much been the top dog. Like, he is, uh, I think this is a few episodes before, or maybe right around the point where he finally started to, you know, we saw some cracks in his armor and he was actually starting to get beat on. But, like, up until then, you know, he was really strong. I mean, even in the last movie, like, when he fought uh, the Bujingaim guy, he was able to go toe-to-toe with him and, and hold his own. But here, you know, nobody messes with 15. Like, he just annihilates everybody. With the powers of wizard, no less. Um, so he knocks him out. You know, Ryugan's like, no, brother. Uh, hopefully nobody heard him. So Gaim is like, all right, you want to dance? Let's dance. So he becomes Jimber Lemon and fights with 15. Uh, now, 15, of course, if you, if you couldn't tell already, he's allied with the bad guys. He's with uh, Baden and all that. So he's helping them out. Pretty much doing everybody's job for them because him alone, he can take on multiple riders, no problem. And just, you know, wipe the floor with them. But uh, he fights with Jimber Lemon and is still able to uh, do a number on him. Yamarashi Roid helps out. He fires some arrows, sets off all these explosions around Gaim. And that's when we get... The triple riders, rider one, two, and V three on their bikes, they drive overhead, show up, drive into the bad guys, dismount, and you know, they're like, We're gonna handle this, you know, you get out of here and Gaim's like, What the So they start fighting fifteen and, and batting and all that. You know, Gaim's like, what, what I was doing fine, you know, you guys don't need to help out. So there's this kind of this animosity where the uh the show riders are like, you know, let us handle this, we know what we're doing, you're you're just gonna screw it up. So uh, Tigeroid goes after Mai and uh, Shu. Gaim, you know, gets in the way, takes a blast for them, and Shu uses his powers to flip the street around so they end up in the underground. And Shu is like, you know, whenever I use my powers, I start to get sleepy. So he passes out. And Coach is like, well, just a normal day at the office. Okay, so we go back to the, um, the fruit bar. And this is where we are introduced to Skasa properly. He is uh, sitting at the bar, or, or sitting at a booth in the back, eating a gigantic parfait that looks like Decade. Like, it's just the biggest ice cream you've ever seen. Uh, while the good guys are sitting around, uh, Kota Mai, shoes passed down the couch, Bando's there, the uh, lady who works at the fruit bar and all that is kind of in the background. So we got the introduction to Skasa. Uh, who does his usual stick. Now, my feeling is that this movie is the best use of the Skasa character since the beginning of his own show. Like, up until now, I mean, I you know, I always enjoy him appearing and stuff like that, but I do kind of feel that the way he was written in those early episodes was so enjoyable, and they never quite managed it again after the first couple. Like, they they're sort of reached a point where uh, the thing about Decade, of course, is, you know, it went through a whole bunch of different writers. You know, there's the two, uh, obviously the two main writers, but also in, thrown into the mix, you had uh, Inoue writing some episodes and Kobayashi writing some episodes. And my feeling about uh, Skasa was always that 
he was very much kind of dependent on who was writing him. You know, obviously his actor, you know, he does a great job and everything. But as far as the character, how he uh, responds to things, how he treats people and stuff like that, that was always kind of up to uh, the different writers. And and the way I liked him the best was in the early episodes where I, I was thought that what endears the character to me is that he's this guy who acts tough and, and acts like, you know, he's he's the best and but he's he's it's kind of uh you know it's kind of um he's kind of hyping himself up almost like he he's not quite as good as he wants you to think he is which actually i really like i like the fact that you know he is he is this kind of really flawed character where he is like oh i know what i'm doing and i'm the best i'm the destroyer worlds and all that but when you get down to it he takes a beating and he needs help but he also in the process helps others so like just I don't know, especially in those the you know the Cougar World episodes, the first three, I think he's I think he's just pitch perfect, you know, and, and how he he's got this very kind of like laid back, lackadaisical uh, attitude towards things, but you know we also see him show emotions. He he gets scared, he gets angry, you know, things like that. And I, I don't know, I feel like in in later on the show he kind of just had this more detached uh, attitude to things where he'd. It wasn't uh, it wasn't bad or anything like that, but it, it certainly was different. And I feel like in this movie, they kind of finally have looped back around to how he was near the beginning, where we see, you know, there's there's one point later on in this movie, sort of a, a scene where he does, you know, the whole usual "I'm a passing through comrade, remember it" thing, but it's said with such kind of desperation and, you know, real kind of like he he's really ticked off and really upset when he does it and it it works so much you know it's it's so different from the the usual kind of more confident way that he he says it in or in previous some um, appearances and stuff like that i don't know it, it really really good job like great great job from you know both anyway the actor really well written directed you know that just you, you will come out of this movie i think really like you know if you if you like scott's already you'll like him even more after this uh, and if you aren't as big a fan, you might kind of come around on him uh, with this one. I think he just, he comes off as really, uh, you know, very heroic, um, very, you know, traditionally common rider-esque. I mean, he's still, you know, he's got his edge. He does the whole thing where, like, you know, Coach is like, I don't I don't understand. And, you know, it's like, I think I understand. And he's like, what do you mean? It's like, ah, oh, you don't need to know. It's not important. You know, he's still kind of got this aloofness. But certainly over the course of the movie, he kind of softens a bit, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I just I really like Scott in this movie, and he arguably is the the main character next to Kota. I mean, when it comes to who the the central character of this movie is, uh, it's an ensemble piece. But certainly the the biggest characters are Kota and Skasa, and then I would say uh, Takumi, who we're gonna meet in a bit. So Skasa's like, uh, I you know my mission is is got something to do with this kid here and stuff like that. And then uh, Narutaki makes his appearance, which is, is really kind of funny. Apparently, they were like, we didn't want to just have him walk in. We wanted to do something more visually interesting. So he appears like miniature-sized on the edge of a bowl of fruit. And, of course, Skasa's first you know, instinct is to try to poke him with the fork, <laughs> which is really funny. So he's talking about, he kind of does this whole uh, exposition dump where he talks about Baden. And we see the Baden Empire's underground base. Uh, which we did see a little bit of at the beginning of the movie. Now, the main sort of villain of the film, the central, uh, at least at first, the central villain is Ambassador Darkness, 
who, uh, you know, he's a pre-existing character. He was around in Z-Cross and all that. And they've done something kind of clever, of course, where the story with Ambassador Darkness is he's sort of an update of Ambassador Hell from the original Kamen Rider. And uh, both characters were played by the great Kenji Ushio. And uh, later it was sort of explained that they were actually brothers and, and Spirits goes way deep into that, the whole relationship they had before they became who they were and, and stuff like that. Really cool. Now what they did here was they took the Ambassador Hell costume from All Riders vs. Die Shocker. I think uh, maybe modified it a bit, but you know, the kind of the more black and gold look. And they have a different actor in it. And he may look familiar to you or may not. Honestly, at first, you know, I was kind of I was like, is that what I think it is? Like, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to that revelation when it comes. But he's sort of the main, you know, the the voice box, if you will, of the bad guys, you know, just saying what they're doing. Uh, so Naratagi is explaining all this and he's like, you must gather up all the Heisei riders. And Scott's is like, well, what about the show riders? And he's like, well, you know. You'll find out why not when the time comes. You know, very cryptic. Then he kind of disappears, and Coach is like, I don't know what the hell is going on. Really funny bit. So, but anyway, what happens is uh, Kota, you know, back when he saved Ryu from Tigeroid, took a pretty nasty injury to his arm. He, his arm was bleeding, and it's still kind of injured. Like, he's he's right. He's like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's get all the Hasty Riders. Oh, my arm. <laughs> so, Scott's like, you, you know, take five. I'll handle this. And that's when Kaito walks in. And apparently, uh, I should say this is Baron Kaito, not not the Kaito that Skasa knows. He walks in, and it, apparently he like heard this whole conversation, even though he was outside, like because he instantly knows what's going on. He's like, uh, "I'll go with you. I want to, you know, become more powerful and all that." So they do that. Uh, they go outside, and they're like, "All right, well, the kid drew this windmill-looking tower thing, uh, so I guess we got to start there." And Skasa. Already knows what that is, of course. And then we see that they're looking at Futo Tower. Now, in terms of the uh, the location of this movie, <laughs> where it takes place, we kind of jump back and forth between Zaome City and Futo. A lot of it actually, a lot of the conclusion really takes place in Futo. And this film gives you the impression that they are right next to each other because maybe it was just the editing, but it looked to me like they walked out of the fruit juice bar and uh, Futo Tower was like right across the street, so <laughs> I don't know, or like across the uh, the bay anyway. I mean, we've seen the map of uh, Zawame in the show and all that, and found that it's actually Gotham City. So I don't know, I guess Futo is on the other side uh, of the river or something like that. But anyway, they head to Futo, and of course this is where we are introduced to Shotaro. Now, uh, one of the things about this movie, I think that everybody kind of knows going into it, is that Shotaro appears, Philip does not, and they don't bring him up. They don't mention him or anything like that, which I didn't mind per se. I mean, obviously, you know, I would have loved if, if he had been there. Uh, I think the way they did it, though, worked because basically... It's not like they've completely forgotten he existed or anything like that, but they just they don't address it. So whenever Shotaro transforms, he becomes Joker, and at the end of the movie, Double is there, but we don't see the transformation. So you know, it just it's not addressed, which I think was probably the best way to go about it. Where Joker gets a ton of screen time, and you still get Double in the movie, 
uh, you know, whenever he's speaking, it's it's the Shotaro side talking anyway. So, you know, it works. I, you know, there's ways you could have done it. Like you could have had a kind of a stand. What I thought they would do is they'd have like a stand in. You only see from behind, you know, Shotaro's like, let's do it, Philip. And he's sitting in the hangar bay there and he stands up and pulls out the memory and like, that's it. But, you know, I, I can see why they wouldn't. They just kind of want to keep the focus where it is. So it, it worked for me. I don't know. If if you're a big Philip fan or a big double fan, you might be like, what the? This is a complete betrayal. I was okay with it, though. So we got Shotaro, and he's got a spiffy new white suit, and he's still kind of the same uh, half-boiled detective because he's making this great speech, and then he, like, hits his foot on a can of uh, pool balls. <laughs> Um, cause he's outside the, the, you know, the billiard hall and everything like that. And Scasa walks up and he's like, ah, yes, the half boiled detective. Now, something that I really liked is that Shotaro knows exactly who Scasa is. He doesn't know who Kaito is. They are introduced for the first time, but there is history between decade and double, uh, which is good. You know, I, th- I think that's good that they, they remembered that as far as the continuity of this movie goes, it is kind of all over the place because, you know, we've got this whole, like, Showa Riders. It feels like the Showa Riders are being the Hayserites for the first time, and yet they aren't because they know each other. And, and we'll find out in a few more scenes. Uh, even Takumi, like, TV show Fies, Takumi, he knows the old Riders, which is kind of cool. So Skasa's like, I gotta recruit all the Hayser Riders to help defeat Baden. And Chotar's like, okay, you know, I'll help out, but... I'm on a case right now. I've got some stuff, so I need you guys to help me out. So they're like, okay, so what is it? So it's like, well, there's a missing dog, a missing cat, and a missing turtle. Because if you remember, you know, a, a kind of throwaway line, I think, from, from Double, or a sort of a minor factoid, is that when they're not doing the big cases, they're basically going around finding lost pets and stuff like that. So that's all he's doing at the moment. So it's like, all right, I'll get the dog somebody will get the cat and and kaito you're gonna get the turtle so he kind of uh press gangs kaito into helping him out and scott's is like all right you guys do that i'm gonna go find somebody else so the next time it, for the most part uh kaito's role in this movie is kind of like the comic relief and it is it's really funny because he's such a serious kind of grim character that when you put him in these ridiculous you know double style kind of humor situations he's just like what the fuck so from there, we cut to a very familiar-looking dry cleaners, which I think is the same building. I'll have to go back and check, but I think they actually did go back to the same place. And parked outside is a very familiar-looking motorcycle being loaded up by a very familiar-looking man. This is, at long last, ten years later, the reintroduction of Takumi Inui into the Riderverse, played by the great Kento Honda who uh, is sporting a different haircut, but you know, other than that, he looks pretty much the same. And he was really excited to be back in this movie, if you've read the interviews and stuff like that. Like, he was so hyped to be in this one. And it shows. So Skasa, uh, who I guess at some point has met, like, the real Takumi now. Like, he, he knows him, and he's like, I need your help. And Takumi's like, no. <laughs> Which... Actually, it was kind of a funny reaction that, you know, he, he like, Scott's is like, we well, gotta round up all the riders and defeat Batman. He's like, can't you see I'm busy? I got stuff to do. You know, I, I don't care about this stuff anymore. He still got, he still got the, uh, the, the suitcase, like, on the back of Autovagin and everything. But he's like, I've, you know, I'm going on a trip. Just leave me alone. Uh, so Scott's is like, you know, he's trying to convince him, but he's like, no, you know, I, 
I'm busy. I don't, I don't have time for this stuff anymore. Now, uh, about the characterization of Takami, we'll get into it a bit more uh, when we sort of get into the flashback and stuff. They did kind of change a few things about the history of Fies, which honestly I don't mind. I actually, I think they kind of improve a little bit on the uh, the original show with them. But you know, the, as far as the characterization goes, uh, you know, much like with Hongo, this is supposed to be a Takami who has aged 10 years. We never see uh, Mari or, or Keitar or anybody else from Fies. It's just him. Which, on the one hand, you know, is kind of a bummer. But on the other hand, I actually really love. I love this idea that, you know, th- this is this is me kind of making up in my own head the, the backstory here. But the implication I get is that Mari has gone on. She's moved on. She's she's opened a salon or something like that. She's famous. And, and Keitar runs a a cell phone dating company or something like that. Like, they made it big. And Takumi, he's still stuck at the laundromat, or that he's still stuck at the dry cleaners. He, you know, he never had a dream of his own, so he never chased a dream. He's just content to be where he is. And that's kind of a, it's kind of a dark idea that, you know, it, like, the hero kind of failed while all his, his friends succeeded, but, or, or not failed per se, but I don't know. I just, I, I love that idea that, you know, he was, he was okay with, with being, exactly what he was and and everybody else they've moved on with their lives they had you know they've gone on to have real lives maybe gotten married stuff like that but he's kind of where he is and and was content with it but at the same time as you can see he's kind of not content he's kind of restless he's there's something missing in his life and and that is of course as we'll see the the superhero aspect the fact that he's he's a common rider and all that and he's kind of he's sort of fallen off the wagon with it a bit as we'll see uh, he doesn't really. He's not too keen on transforming anymore, or anything like that. But I don't know. I just I really like this idea that we've got this Takumi now, who's kind of he's a loner again. You know, he was a lone wolf when the show started, and he's kind of back to it. You know, and, and probably after this movie, he would go find his friends again and have a reunion party or something like that. But at least for the you know for right now, he's kind of he's on his own. He doesn't really want to associate with anybody, even even Skasa, who's like, I need your help to save the world. He's like, ah. so he drives off. Scott's about to give up on him. But then there's an explosion. And it turns out that Baden attacked Takumi and they're trying to eliminate all the riders. So he's knocked out. He's got the Fies gear and he's like, do I want to transform or not? I don't know. But Scott walks up and he's like, I'll take care of this. So he transforms. Uh, and of course, we get the good old decade music and all that. So Decade's fighting bad and he's doing pretty well. Then 15 shows up and just starts mopping the floor with him because as as we'll establish later on, 15 is is basically Decade, but even better. <laughs> so he has no problem fighting Decade. And uh, so Decade gets away. He uses Invisible to escape. And uh, somehow during all this, I guess Takumi got away too. Like there was kind of a moment there where he's like watching all this on the, the road and he's like trying to decide if he should transform to help out, but he doesn't and uh, he gets away. Uh, so we cut over to Shotaro and Kaito kind of having a little comedy bit, like Shotaro's chasing a dog and Kaito's trying to get this turtle and he's doing the whole like throwing card thing. He does that a lot in this movie where he's like throwing cards at people or, you know, whipping them out. He's trying to get this turtle. Shotaro knocks him into the river or into a pond, rather, you know, comedy bits, just to kind of break up the flow. Uh, so from there, we cut back to uh, Takumi, who's at a restaurant and just eating some noodles, and again, of course, complaining about how they're too hot. <laughs> and the old lady there is like, well, just wait for him to cool down. He's like, but I want to eat now. 
So then a uh, something, you know, there's kind of a, a ruckus outside and a guy holding a gun busts into the restaurant and he's he's got a wound, he's been shot. And this guy, this crook, is in fact played by Kenji Tobinaga, uh, Kuga himself, or the suit actor. And he's also the suit actor for 15 in this movie, I believe. Uh, so he shows up and he takes a girl hostage. Uh, there's a couple sitting behind uh, Takumi. We don't see who the guy is. We just see his back. But he's wearing like a, it looks like a lab coat. And there's a girl with him. Uh, he takes her hostage. He's like, everybody get out, get out. You know, he's waving the gun around. Uh, everybody kind of, you know, backs into a corner and stuff like that. Takumi stands up. He's ready to be like, what the, you know, I'm trying to eat, son of a... But somebody puts their arm in front of him. And we pan over. And we see Keisuke Jin. He's older. Uh, he's wiser. But uh, it's definitely him. And he's like, hey, let me see that injury. Now, this movie did something that never in a million years would I ever have considered. I think anybody who's anybody, if you're like, okay, what is X Rider doing now? Like, where is he now in the world? You know, your answer is either going to be he's kicking butt 24 7 like Hongo is. He's doing something related to marine biology or oceanography or something related to the sea or a combination of both. I never would have considered the idea that he decides to become a doctor. But when you think about it, it's perfect. It is brilliant to have him become a doctor, like a regular, like he's got a little clinic, as we'll see, uh, clinic by the sea, which is a nice uh, little <laughs> idea. But it's just, it's great because what was his father? His father was a scientist. His father was a robotics expert. His father was a surgeon. His father wanted ultimately to help people, you know, to to heal people, to, to make them better. So the idea that he kind of follows in his footsteps in a very different way, but still becomes uh, a doctor, become, you know, a, a different kind of doctor than his father. Like that is... It's so good. Like, I never would have considered that. And it, it makes so much sense. So he tells the crook, he's like, you know, that, that girl there, you know, she's staying with me until her father comes back. I'm looking after her. Uh, we never quite... The, the girl, by the way, whose name is Mari, which I thought was a nice touch, you know, given that uh, the Takumi is there. Uh, we never quite get into exactly, you know, who she is. She, As far as I can tell, she's sort of, uh, you know, works at the clinic with, with, or helps out at the clinic. You know, he says, like, he's looking after her and, and her father is away or something like that. And I, I wasn't sure if, if they were speaking kind of metaphorically, like, you know, she's an orphan and he, and he's kind of adopted her. Or, like, literally, her father is, like, just on a business trip and he's like, I'll, I'll look after her. Because she's, like, I don't know, she's a teenager, something like 16, 17, something like that. So, but, you know, but again, it, it's kind of, I kind of like that. I like that idea that he's he's looking after kids still, you know, he's still caring about, like, the future and stuff. But he's like, you know, let that girl go, or, or you know, if I if I heal your injury, do you promise to let that girl go? And it's like, and the crook's like, you know, he's bleeding out pretty badly. So he's like, uh, you know, are you crazy? You know, what the hell? He's like, no, you know, I, I swear to you, you know, I'm a doctor. I'll do it. No tricks. So he's like, all right. So Jin starts to, uh, you know, he starts to work on, on the wound. And outside, you got the SWAT team ready to bust in. You know, they throw in a uh, gas grenade or a, a stinger grenade, I think, and go in. And without actually, you know, without necessarily hurting anybody, Jin manages to disarm everyone. Like, <laughs> he kicks a, 
chair out, knocks over a couple of guys, and he's got a mop, and he's, you know, whacking a guy on the head and grabs a dude, you know, pointing his gun in his face and stuff like that. And he says to them, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, but, you know, I made a promise. I got to heal this guy's injury. Which, again, you know, I, I like this. I dig this whole idea that the, the rioters are all kind of... uh a little bit, you know, kind of anti-authority, you know. I mean, not 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 terribly so, but uh, plus the, plus the idea that he's a doctor, and it's like I've you know I've taken an oath and all that. I've made a vow. I've got to heal this guy, no matter who he is. Now, this whole time, of course, I was thinking when the scene started, and Jin's walking up, and he's got a gun in his face. I'm like, oh, are they gonna do the thing where like the guy shoots him and it doesn't do anything because he's a cyborg or like he, you know <laughs> something like that. Now they they took a slightly more gentle approach. Uh, I would have been okay with with it either way but so uh you know this action kind of shocks the crook he's like what the Jin seals up the wound puts a gauze wrap and everything on it and he's like okay you know and and while he's doing it he's kind of making this little speech about you know that girl there she's the future and we got to protect the the future and you know kids are our future and that's the responsibility of adults like really good stuff It, it ties into the whole theme this movie's got a really great theme of age and youth and and how they relate you know we've got this whole idea of showa versus heisei but ultimately you know it 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 can't be a fight it's got to be a reconciliation between the two and and this scene kind of perfectly illustrates it and so he's kind of so moved by this the crook just drops the gun he's like what the hell am i doing with my life you know so then the cops bust in they take him away fortunately uh (laughs) there's no legal repercussions for our heroes so Jin and Mari drive off and Takumi he's been just kind of watching this whole time like who is this guy so he follows them back to the clinic and uh you know Mari's like do you know that guy and and Jin's like uh no so he says to Takumi he's like why are you here and it's like uh now fortunately you know before he has to come up with a reason a truck pulls up with a bunch of people including Jiro Okamoto, who uh, apparently got drunk and like punched a glass window or something like that, so he's going nuts and uh, he's got glass shards in him and he's all you know thrashing about and he's throwing guys through the air and stuff. And so Jin's like, "Oh, we gotta operate. You know, are you there, weird guy? Help me out." <laughs> so Takumi uh, helps out as as Jin has to operate and and pull glass out of a drunken, angry Jiro Okamoto. Now this part it did make me kind of laugh because. Uh, there is a moment where, like, he kind of pushes on Keisuke Jin and he stumbles back. And, you know, part of me was like, oh, that wouldn't happen. You know, the, the this is a guy who can get punched in the face and it's not going to do anything to him. But then I was like, well, it is Jiro Okamoto. So, you know, I, I guess he gets he gets a free pass. He can he's so strong that even, you know, the cyborg show riders kind of are like, whoa. <laughs> so they uh, they fix him up. And before long, he's uh, he's sleeping peacefully. So we basically then get, you know, this this entire, uh, all these scenes have been happening in order, uh, you know, all these scenes with uh, Takumi and, and Jin. And so we, we've basically like in the middle of this, you know, this crazy riders fighting each other action packed epic, we take out like a 10, 15 minute chunk that is basically X Rider and Phi is just hanging out like talking and I'm loving it. it you know, it's great stuff because it, it really does kind of feel very kind of like it's a throwback to you know not only to x of course and defies but even sort of that whole style of sort of the earlier heisei riders where they would they really would kind of yuck it up for a long time before the action happened again and 
in a movie that works great because you have the the running time that you can still have plenty of action later on as we'll see but you know there is this just this space of of uh screen time where they're sitting around they're talking about life the universe and everything basically <laughs> tagami uh you know after after helping out he's washing his hands he's washing the blood off his hands and that reminds him he has a flashback which we'll see the full flashback in a few seconds he kind of has a, a flash forward or you know a flashback to just like a little bit of it uh jin comes out introduces himself Takumi introduces himself, and Jin goes, you know, how does it feel to save a life? And Takumi's like, you know, I know the feeling. <laughs> Which, and, you know, Jin's kind of like, oh, really? You know, <laughs> that was a good little bit. So uh, we see, you know, they're, they're sitting around, like, Takumi's ready to go, and, and, and Jin's like, you know, what are you running from? And then the lightning strikes because it's raining outside. So we get to see Takumi's flashback. What it is is that Spoilers for the end of Kamen Rider Fies. It's the moment that Kusaka died. Now, they did change it. In the series, Kusaka is killed by the horse orphanok, uh, Kiba, taking the Kaiza gear, turning into Kaiza, and basically snapping his neck. Like, really kind of brutal, nasty death. Uh, and they've changed it for the movie. What happens now is Fies is fighting with the Ark orphanok on the beach. Uh, Ark Orphanok, for some reason, using the sword that uh, I think Mr. J had, like the Crocodile Orphanok, when he was in his final form. He's got this big sword, and Ark Orphanok is swinging that around. And next to them, you got Kaiza fighting the Horse Orphanok. And uh, Kaiza gets blasted. You know, the belt goes flying, of course. He reverts back to Kasaki. He's crawling along trying to get the belt. Uh, Horsey, you know, generates this big ball of evil energy and shoots at him and blows him up. Or, you know, blows up around him and that that kills him so you know Fies is like Sokka so he runs over and Kasaka's all beat to hell he's bleeding he's all burnt up and he's like you know why did I die while well, you got to live you're the empty useless Saka and then he crumbles away a little bit more dramatic than that, that that's my <laughs> rendition of it but so it is differently it's now instead of just being killed by himself basically killed by you know a guy wearing his suit he dies in battle but it still is kind of a it is kind of a a nice moment because he goes out looking like a real jerk but at the same time it weighs on fies a bit more because he crumbles in his hands you know he's he's holding his hands he's got the crumbled ash of what used to be Kasaka in it, the effect uh where he dies looks really cool like the old the old orphanoc crumbling effect you know, let's be fair, it could be kind of hit or miss at times because it basically would be like they'd have, you know, they'd break the body apart so you'd kind of see the guy's, like, head fall off and then his arm and you know, it looked kind of weird. Like, sometimes it looked really good. Here it looks amazing. Like, it looks really cool. Blue fire and everything like that. Like, really awesome. Uh, and there's there's actual blood, too. Like, there's blood splattered onto Fize's, uh suit from when, like, you know, Kasaka was, like, grasping his shoulders. So basically what happens here is, you know, it kind of establishes that Fize, or, or Takumi rather, he kind of feels some guilt over that, over the fact that he used to know a guy who fought for the ones he loved and all that, who he died, he let him down, and and he's left over, he's still going. So this, uh, obviously I think they had to change Kasaka's death to make it a bit more cinematic, of course, but also to kind of, you know, to make this idea work a bit better. And, and, and the way I look at it is... 
it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, this is this is what happened and we're, we're changing, you know, it's a retcon or something like that. Or, you know, you could look at it as this is how I choose to remember it because 10 years on, a lot of stuff has happened and Takumi is now thinking back to this day. And maybe it's not exactly how it went, but it's 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 how he remembers it and how he feels guilty over it, over the fact that, you know, he he survived while this other guy died. And sure, maybe the other guy was a jerk, but it's still a guy that he knew for like a long time. And suddenly one day he's not there anymore. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's it, I I dug it. Like it's the sort of thing where it really shouldn't work. The more you think about it, you're like, why should Takumi care? You know, when Kasaka died, he should have been just like tap dancing on his ashes. But really, it 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 does kind of work for me that after all this time, he thinks back to it and he's like, yeah, that that guy's dead now. Like I knew that guy. I used to we weren't exactly friends, but we were certainly allies in in a common cause of you know fighting the orphanox and all that but now he's gone uh so you know so he, i don't think he says it literally he kind of you know implies it in dialogue with with jin who's been listening to this whole time and you know he says you know i remember something my dad used to say about uh you know when you're lost look out to the sea and, and think about the vastness of the sea and all that and a really cool, cool line i'm not sure if it's if he's quoting something from x or they just kind of made it up for this movie but it's a really good bit like again you know not having Jin do something related to the ocean they still managed to kind of tie him into the ocean you know his clinic is near the ocean and he talks about the ocean stuff like that that's really cool that's that's very true to x i think where you know, the whole idea of him being the underwater rider really is only kind of there at the very beginning, but, you know, has been revisited in kind of spin-offs and stuff like that. Like, certainly Spirits, you know, goes to town with it. Uh, and even something like Gambarai, they're like, you know, when they're assigning everybody an element or a, a focus skill or whatever, you know, X is still water. Like, he's still, he will always be the aquatic rider no matter what. You know, even if he doesn't touch a drop of water <laughs> in a movie or a show... He still is. He's the underwater rider, which I like. So uh, then, you know, Mari shows up and is like, uh, you know, time to eat. And she's made this boiling pot of seafood. And, and Takumi's like, that looks way too hot. So they kind of ended on a, you know, after this nice dramatic moment, they kind of ended on a little comedy bit. Okay, so all this is great. But of course, you know, this is a Kamen Rider movie and we got to have action and adventure and all that. So the next morning, Mari's buying some groceries. He goes back across the street. Takumi is sitting there looking out at the sea next to Otto Vajin, and he's kind of, uh, you know, he's been thinking about things, and he seems ready to head off. And then they're attacked by Baden, uh, Tigroid, and some guys show up, and uh, they identify him as the common rider, and, and Mari's like, you're a common rider? And Takumi kind of has this grimacing look on his face. He's like, well, yes, I am. I mean, I know we never called me that in my show, but I am. And uh, 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 so, you know, Baden uh, goes after him. You know, he's fighting with them. Jin pulls up on his motorcycle. He's driving a Honda now, as I think all the old riders have to. They aren't on Suzuki's anymore. But <laughs> uh, he pulls up, he dismounts and starts kicking some butt. Really cool little fight. Uh, you know, he's he's protecting Mari and all that. And, uh, you know, obviously two guys untransformed aren't going to be able to do enough. So Takumi's like, he pulls the belt out of, out of the bag. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I can't remember if he still had the suitcase or he just kept it in a duffel bag. Like, I feel like we saw the suitcase on the back of Otto, but I could be wrong. I, I think he just had it in a bag the whole time. But he's still got all the stuff. You know, he's got all the, the gizmos and stuff. So he pulls the belt out and he's like, 
I got to protect the future for the children and all that. Um, you know, better line than that, but <laughs> that's my memory for you. So he transforms and we get a really cool Fi's transformation where, you know, the camera pans around as he does it. Same old good sound effects and everything like that. It, it's really cool. I mean, um, you know, everybody, of course, will be talking about the, the new Showa Rider transformations and stuff like that. Uh, or the the transformation of some guy, but I, I gotta say, you know, if you think about it, this is the first time we've seen Takumi transform in years. You know, I mean, we saw the the AU version do it in decades and stuff like that, but this is the you know the real deal, and uh, it's it's cool to see. So he becomes Fies, he's kicking butt. You know, very Fies like he's he's not treating his stuff very uh, <laughs> kindly. Like he's got the uh, the Fies edge, which he just like throws away at one point after slashing some guys with it. Uh, we do get Autovajin in the scene. Like, right when the bad guys attack, they shoot at Takumi and Mari, and the bike transforms into battle mode, and Autovajin blocks it for them. That was pretty cool. Now, if you do remember, of course, in both the movie and the show, as I recall, uh, Autovajin got destroyed. Uh, somehow he's he's back to normal, which is okay. I mean, I can I can imagine there was, like, a story in between there where they rebuilt him or something like that, or, you know, this is Mark II or something. You know, there's there's probably a... Probably an interesting little spin-off tale you could tell about that. So uh, yeah, so we got you know we got Autovagin, we got the uh, the Fi's Edge. He uses Excel and uh, of course you know does the multiple crimson smashes on everybody. So he destroys uh, Tigeroid. Really cool little fight scene. And all this time you know Jin is watching. I'm like, what the? So when the uh, the dust settles and the smoke clears. Uh, Mari's gone, and Fies is standing there across from Jin, who's like, you know, you're a Heisei rider. Well, I'll be your next opponent. And then we pan out, and we see he's got the belt around his waist. And Fies is like, what the... And then we get the new, old <laughs> X-Rider transformation, because one of the decisions they made for this movie, which I'm not sure if there's a clear answer for this. I, I tried to look it up, and apparently it, it just came down to... Uh, the the visual effects guys wanted to do this one, and I, I guess Ryo Hayami was okay with it. He was like, yeah, you know, let's do the old one. He transforms with setup. That was his original transformation phrase and sequence. Now, the thing about X is he gets an upgrade later in the show, and it becomes the Dai Henshin, or the Great Henshin, big transformation, whatever you want to call it. You know, the pose changed, and the, the sequence changed a little bit. It got a little bit faster. You know, the big thing being that uh, originally the way X's transformation worked was that he assembles the mask piece by piece. Like he would appear, you know, in the costume but without the helmet and he would assemble the, the helmet itself. So they decided to go with that. So, you know, he's he's technically using the older version of the transformation, not the like the current one that he, you know, he would have. I was okay with this, you know, as a stylistic choice. Uh, you know, again, it's like, it's the sort of thing where it's maybe not what I would do, but I get why they did it. And let's be honest, it looks freaking awesome. Like it looks so cool. So he does that, uh, you know, and it's nice how they like, they keep it really true to how it looked in the show. Just, you know, updating the, with the CGI and stuff like that. So really cool looking transformation. They add some cool bits like, you know, he puts the mouthpiece on, the eyes light up, of course. The scarf kind of comes out last, like it sort of almost unfurls from around his neck. Really cool looking. But yeah, he turns into Kamen Rider X, you know, with the old sound effects and everything. And now here's the part where I really just totally marked out. Fi sees him and he calls him X-Rider. 
not Kamen Rider X, X Rider, which if you're a, a fan of X, you know that, I mean, that's like his, it's like his nick. it's his nickname, but it's like, it, it's the name everybody calls him. Like, it, it's very rare in the show, like, he'll say his name is, you know, Kamen Rider X, or, you know, they'll call him that or stuff like that, but, like, uh, more often than not, you would have characters call him X Rider, just like Amazon was Amazon Rider. Which I don't know. I, I I don't know if there's any real explanation for it. It just was kind of a thing that developed, but it's become such a a part of the character. So to have Fice say that, like, sees him as like X Rider, is like, yes, that is awesome. But again, you know, it's here we have TV show Takumi Inui knowing that uh, he's Common Rider X or X Rider already. You know, so I I guess the previous team up movies all count, like. <laughs> I guess we're uh, we're going with you know we're acknowledging that they all happened because uh, X Rider attacks him with the Rydal whip and the Rydal stick. Uh, that's this you know weapon that he pulls out of his belt, and and Fize is like, what the you know why are you, what's going on? Like he's he's genuinely shocked that he's getting attacked by X, and it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty one sided beatdown. Like you know Fize kind of tries to fight back, but he's just X is just too fast for him. You know, and X is like, why don't you fight back? Do you want to die? Like, really kind of intense stuff. And so finally, um, X does the kick. And it, it's kind of similar to how they did it in Mega Max. It's a bit more uh, a bit more old school, actually, where, like, we don't see the bar floating in the air. We see, you know, done like how he used to do it. Like, he jumps in the air, grabs it, spins around, does the kick. So it's it's kind of a nice, uh, you know, it's like it's like both. It's like the old one and the new one. It's kind of nice in between. Uh, but yeah, he kicks Fies, and apparently he falls, like, I guess, I thought they were on a dock, but I guess they move the action to, like, on a building, or, or there's another part of the dock that's, like, lower down, because Takumi goes flying, you know, the belt flies off, he hits the ground pretty hard. I'm amazed they didn't have him fall into a river. Uh, but, you know, they did They did have the nice line at the end where, like, Takumi looks up, he's like, what the hell? You know, like, that That sort of, he had that particular way of saying it in his, in his show whenever, like, something happened. He'd be like, what the, you know? Uh, and, and X is standing over him up above being, like, too weak. But, yeah, this this was a really cool sequence. Like, this whole, from, from the moment we, you know, see Takumi, really, from the moment he's introduced up until now, for, you know, aside from that kind of one break where we had Shotaro and Kaito, like a, a large chunk of the movie has been these two guys has been has been Takumi and and Jin, uh, Fies and X and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's cool it, to me. It's almost like it's another episode of Fies kind of like smuggled into the middle of the movie. Like <laughs> it's really uh really cool to see. But and I don't know. I mean, like. Uh, when it comes to the the riders fighting and stuff like that, this is something that I'll kind of touch on a bit later, I think. But of all the the riders fighting each other in the movie, I think the one that I like the best, uh, not not the sequence per se, but just the idea of them fighting, is actually X and Fies because as we've kind of because we've seen the characters interact like this, because we've had this whole part where they're you know they're friends. And we see Fies fight, and and Jin watched him, and then he's you know transforms and attacks him. It adds a lot more weight to it, and you really kind of get the feeling that you know, like you know what you know why X attacks him, even even if we don't necessarily. Like you kind of the wheels in your head start turning, and you're like, okay, I see what he's doing. He's kind of testing him. He's like he's trying to get him out of this funk almost. And I I think like that's kind of one of the things I sort of wish we we got a bit more of when it comes to uh, Kota and Hongo. You know they 
they do have a scene together. Well, all the scenes with Hongo in them, like Kota's there. He's talking to Kota. Uh, or, or even the scenes with Ryder 1, he's talking to Guy, you know. But I don't know. I just I kind of wish we'd gotten a little bit more interaction between them like we get with these guys so that when X attacks Fies and later on when Fies and X are, are going one-on-one uh, during all the fights and stuff like that, I don't know. I just I think the relationship they build between those characters is really good, and it it ends in a great place. And having them fight each other, it, it really makes a lot of sense uh, in a way that it maybe doesn't quite as much with some of the others. But that's that's my take on it anyway. Okay, kids, this is Eager Devil uh, from the future, jumping back in time to split this episode in half because it is so big. When I tried to put it all out as one. Uh, the file was just way too massive, so this is going to be a two-parter, but uh, both parts will go up around the same time. But uh, stay tuned for the second half of the movie review.